0: Good evening everyone. I'm broadcasting live July 10th, 2016. So today's quote seems like we've had this quote. Yeah, maybe we have actually had this quote. Maybe it's been a year already but uh I've had a quote like this, problem with this quote is it's only part of a quote and it's a bit misleading at that, so the quote that we have is that um, one can have a sadha and sila and sutta and one can one can have faith in the Buddha, one can have Siddha, one can have morality, and one can be learned and heard much of the Buddha's teaching. But one's still lacking in one regard, in one respect. One is not a teacher of the Dhamma. So it sounds, according to this, that there are these four aspects. When one has all of these, then one is complete. But that's, that's not what it says. It says, <laughs> Well, it could be translated that way, but it, it what it means is, Shouldn't be because what it means is, in regards to that, uh, regard, through that one is more full or, or one is full in regards to that that uh, factor. Now see the, why why it has to be translated as this this, this, this latest factor makes one more complete because there's lots more factors this is actually, it's um, in the Anguttara Nikaya Book of Tens there's actually ten factors so this quote is misleading it's not that uh, the only thing missing from a good monk and a good Buddhist is that they're not teaching no, there's lots of things missing so we have sila, One one might, it starts off by saying one might be moral, one one might have confidence and be moral, Uh, hmm. one may may be confident but not moral, faith in the Buddha but not be moral, so here's a person who he uh, calls themselves Buddhist and has real faith in the Buddha having heard his his story and his teachings and maybe really having met the Buddha or having met Buddhist monks. They so have great faith in the Buddha. They don't actually do anything. So they're still killing and lying and cheating and stealing and all this. He so, well, in this regard they're still lacking. But then if they, even if they have, even if they're moral, you know, they're they're complete in that regard, what if they're not well-learned? Bahusutto means of much learning, having heard much of the Buddha's teaching. They don't learn much of the Buddha's teaching, well, they're lacking in that regard. Because there's many questions that they might have and others might have that they can't answer. They might be challenged, it's very hard to uh, answer to the challenge put by others, or even by your own mind, when you have doubts, you haven't learned a lot. You haven't learned all the different ins and outs of the teaching. So, regards to that, one is still not complete. But then, one can be well learned. No jadamakatiko, and this is where it, this is the, the part that of the quote that he's pulled out but one still doesn't teach the Dhamma. Unless one doesn't teach the Dhamma, well, one's, one's not really complete in that regard. In that regard, one is still lacking. So it is true that the Buddha is saying here that uh, maybe it's just for monks, or maybe we can all take a lesson from this, and that you know, it's inferior. If you're not helping others, if you're not sharing the Dhamma, if you're not using it for the benefit of others, well, it's somehow lacking. It's not that you can't become enlightened for yourself, but you know, there's, I mean, there's something to the sort of natural inclination to teach, the natural natural inclination to help others. I'm teaching a lot today. And this morning we went to Mississauga again for this ordination. Today was the second half of the whole thing, and. I was able to give a short talk we yeah, were really happy about that it was, uh, it was really good to be that to be inspiring to, to, to offer this inspiration that's what this sutta is about it's about being an inspiration inspiring confidence in all respects and who is complete in all aspects so we don't get to that until the end He's not complete yet so no, this quote is, is therefore misleading. So because one might teach the dhamma and then not be uh, one who one who upholds the vinaya, upholds the vinaya. I'm not sure how that differs from sīla, but there you have it. Vinaya dha, Dharu but there's something in the commentary about that what's the difference but one might be a vinaya is i guess someone who un, who knows the ins and outs of the vinaya the, the monastic rules so it's not the same as sila because sila is, is real true ethics but vinayadara for a monk to know the ins and outs of all the the artificial rules like how to wear your robe or how not to wear your robe and how to carry your bowl and all the um, In and out of out of monastic life, that's important. It's important to, to maintain order and to create a framework for the the training that we undertake as Buddhist monk. So I, this sutta actually is pretty specific, geared towards monks. You can, but you can adapt it, of course everybody has rules of their community and norms that have to be maintained and meditation centers have rules that kind of thing so but even if one is well versed in community um, communal harmony and that sort of thing uh, but one isn't an aranyika one uh, doesn't live, dwell in the forest one doesn't dwell in a uh, secluded dwelling uh, and then one is incomplete in that regard so there you have it, we should be living in the forest this is our goal, I was just talking to some people today in Mississauga and talking to the monks and that kind of thing trying to get a sense of where we can find a place what can we do where can we go in Ontario, in Canada or anywhere where we can build a forest or a, a monastery more in nature where there's more room and less um, less of con- less the constraints of being in the city something for the future but even if one dwells in seclusion which is very good you know being alone being in a secluded place it uh, allows you to enter into states of calm and on. but if you go into the forest and don't enter into the four jhanas this is the next one no chatunang <speaking in Spanish> Nikamala. one is not able to obtain one does not become one who is able to obtain with ease this dwelling happily in the here and now in, in reality or in 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 the here and now and that is the four jhanas the sikha the higher dhamma, the higher higher mind that is the four jhanas. And still still missing, still lacking. If you can't actually calm the mind, focus the mind, there's something missing. But you can calm and focus the mind, and there's still something missing even then. One can be calm and tranquil, and living in the forest, keeping the morality, the, the monastic precepts, and so on, and so on. Even teaching and even have great faith. Even have all these things, but if you haven't cut off the defilements, the taints, you haven't destroyed the taints As, aso, nang kaya. dwelling in the taintless freedom of mind and freedom of wisdom Then you're still missing something and you will say just a second he should fulfill. Thus, being incomplete in regards to one fact, whatever factor, they should fulfill that factor. Thinking, how can I be endowed with faith? How can I be endowed with this and this and? This? and basically, you should work to fulfill that which is missing. And he said, but a person who a monk who has all these ten things, who has confidence in the Buddha, who has morality, who is well-learned, who is a teacher of the Dhamma, who is a holder of the discipline, who lives in a secluded forest dwelling, who can enter at ease the four jhanas, and who has cut off the taints, destroy the taints, uh, unwholesome states of mind that even a, a tendency for unwholesome states of mind. Mm, such a person is, is complete. <laughs> one is uh, complete in all aspects that's the the proper teaching here it's unfortunate how misleading this this uh, is although he is making a a fair point that uh, it's interesting how the Buddha talks about teaching as being necessary for for completion, especially for a Buddhist monk. I think that's, I mean, he's not saying that any of this is, is that all of this is necessarily necessary. It's just that um, it's not perfect. You know, the best kind of monk, and by extension, the best kind of Buddhist meditator, is one who fulfills all ten of these. Doesn't mean that you have to be complete in all of them. It's just, you have to respect and appreciate. All of these factors. So, anyway, that's the Dhamma that we're looking at today. I think we missed yesterday. So, let's see if we've got some questions. We have some questions from yesterday. See, we need a better interface, I think. We should really have a separate. Separate interface from questions, probably. Oh, I can't see all the questions because you're not putting the cues. Here's one. I woke up this morning with a strong feeling of or for nothing is really worth it. wonder if it is Avedana or not. I can't say I like it or don't like it, but it's not indifferent either. Hours after, I thought it might be it might count more as liking because it is a novel encounter. Felt fresh, but with the concomitant feeling and there's much to do. Like now, what? I guess my question is whether the responses of like, dislike, and indifferent are really exhaustive or suffice to categorize all ideas. Um. Yeah, I mean, it can be subtle, and it can be all mixed like boredom. What is boredom? Well, it's mostly anger-based, but it's also got some delusion in there with with laziness and that kind of thing. Uh, It can also be mixed up with greed. Boredom can be very much associated with greed. Um that's just as an example. Now, it's not really important which one it is. It's important exactly what it is. So if you're thinking, or if you're feeling, you can just say thinking, thinking, or feeling, feeling. So this strong feeling of nothing being worth it, of of indifference in a sense, or um, disinterest. So you could say disinterested or um, weary, maybe. But feeling, feeling works. As long as you can identify it objectively, this is this. It's not so important what you call it. Someone who becoming ordained is really out of the picture. I'm a wife and a wife and twelve-year-old kid being ordained was out of reach. I've come so far and learned so much. It was the closest I could become to ordaining. It's it's really up to you, you know. There are it's an it's an apt question, I suppose, because. It, it, that's exactly it. You 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 can get close to ordaining. You know, ordaining is not it's not an, an, an a yes or no question. Ordained, unordained. It's not a binary thing. You can uh, uh, undertake many of this these you know, these ten things. Many aspects of the monastic life can be undertaken by lay people. I think that's really important. As a layperson, I was doing this. When I, I, when I started meditating, I didn't have the opportunity to ordain for around two years. But during those two years I was doing my best to try and be as monastic as possible as much of the time as possible. In fact, at, at one point I thought I was going to ordain, um, at least temporarily, and then I found out I, I really couldn't or it just wasn't convenient. And in protest, I went out and bought myself a, a stainless steel bowl and started eating food mixed up in a, in a non-monastic, but like a mixing bowl. And the nuns in the monastery, I remember them looking at me, oh, he's got a big bowl. <laughs> and they were all so, such busybodies, not always, this group of, everybody's worried about everyone else. So they were looking at my big bowl. I think thinking that I was being greedy I wanted more food so I needed a big bowl mm-hmm. But it was more just to be like a monastic so there are many things you can do you know you can some people in Thailand will undertake to wear white robes maybe that's beyond but that's about as close as they can get there's many things you can do even just if you start giving up your uh, luxuries your uh, uh, extravagances. start sleeping on the floor that kind of thing I mean there's many things you can do you don't have to do any or all or or any of them but whatever you can do to practice renunciation is is great when I get a bad mindset, mindset I say to myself wrong, wrong, wrong well that's not really a not really helpful. Wrong is too much of a judgment and it'll be very negative in the mind. Are there other ways to deal with toxic people other than avoiding them altogether? Sidewalk can be a hostile place. I guess. I mean, mindfulness, of course, is the answer. You can learn to be mindful, of the, host- the sidewalk's not really a hostile place. You have to remember that, um, you, the Buddha said, you're talking about, you use the word toxic. The poison only hurts the hand that is wounded. If your hand is unwounded, you can handle poison in your hands. You can carry it in your hands and not die from it. So anything toxic to the mind it only poisons your mind if you let it in. If your mind is strong, there's nothing that can poison you. Attachment causes us to be attracted to others, That's fall in love. Love. Attachment is one cause of suffering. So how should someone live who is already in a relationship knowing that someday this feeling or desire for his or her partner will vanish i don't know that that's how it works i mean it doesn't just vanish um i mean you're kind of putting the cart before the horse how should i act when i know that someday i might give up i mean why don't you cross that bridge when you come to it yeah I mean it would be kind of pessimistic not not exactly pessimistic but it would be getting ahead of yourself very much So for no reason if and when you give it up there will be no uh, need to prepare for it you know it's not like I've given it up and I wasn't ready to give it up you only give something up when you're very much ready to give it up So in the meantime, if you want to be free from suffering, if you want to cultivate true peace and happiness, you should look at the emotion, look at the love, the attachment, the desire, don't judge it, just learn about it, study it, and if you study it close enough, you'll start to give it up naturally. As far as thinking about impermanence, that's not really how it works. But what you're going to see is that it is impermanent. That seeing will come by itself. It'll come naturally. It won't be an intellectual thing. It's not about thinking about impermanence. But as you see that it's impermanent, you'll start to give it up. I wish to study the Buddhist texts, but not sure where to begin? Is there a recommended starting point for a beginner? Um, well, the, you know, a lot of the Buddhist teaching is has been translated into English and I recommend reading Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation A few nights ago you recommended for us to meditate before listening to dhamma talk do you have any more advice how one should listen to dhamma talks to gain the most benefit from them to get the most benefit you should acknowledge that the ear hearing hearing. You should be mindful and meditate during the time read my booklet how to meditate and try to practice that while you're listening it's a great way to meditate a great way to listen to the dhamma Of course then you don't have to listen to so much Dhamma, as you get it, you start to say, well, why do I need to listen to this when I can just meditate without it? Listening to the Dhamma is actually, in the long run, generally overrated. We listen to too much and we don't practice enough. That's a fairly good generalization, not everyone and not all the time. But in general, we tend to listen too much and practice too little. right i'm sorry to not have all that much to say tonight it's been a bit of a day traveling to mississauga but it was nice you know it's nice always to um meet new people this is a new group bangladeshi buddhists bengali buddhists bangladeshi you can't keep it all straight from bangladesh Bangladesh is an incredible situation, lots of violence there, violence against Buddhists. You know, it's a fairly complicated situation, but something complicated about the terrible things that are happening. And uh, so they ordained six of their young boys temporarily. Six Bangladeshi boys came to the Sri Lankan monastery because the monk who sort of runs the place or is a, a catalyst for a lot of the things uh, is from Bang is actually from Bangladesh, and uh, he's a really good friend, really nice guy. And so, I was invited. We, uh, many of us were invited to take part, and I was asked to give a talk. But the funny thing is the. the, the there were two of us the first monk was a Bangladeshi monk he was asked to give five or ten minutes and he went on for I think 15 or 20 minutes so when it came my turn uh, the, the, the head monk said uh, yeah maybe five to eight minutes <laughs> so we didn't have any time and I said all right five minutes and so I give a five-minute Dhamma talk which may not sound like much and it probably went over a couple of minutes over but it was actually quite um, I was able to get quite a bit out, and many people came up and thanked me afterwards just for such a short talk. It must have been more than five minutes, but not much more. but you know it wasn't even I kept saying I would say to them, you know it's not my teaching I'm not this, this I can't really take credit for it. I'm just saying the things that my teacher said to all of us. Um, it's very pithy stuff in talking about the four opportunities that we have of these four opportunities, that's what I was teaching today, that these, these six young men have taken the opportunity, the Buddha said, don't let the opportunity, don't let the moment pass you by, was the gist of my teaching. is intuition real sometimes I can sense something bad happening, yeah potentially we're just reading today uh, we just in the Visuddhimagga that we did today we were reading about uh, knowledge of the future so prognostication seems to be a thing it does seem to be possible premonitions do seem to be at times based on fact don't know how it works Except uh, I always bring up this quantum slit experiment where you have these two entangled um, particles such that they go, two particles go off in separate directions and if you measure this particle it affects this particle which may not sound like much but it actually implies the problem that they had with this was that it, it seems to imply faster than light travel because Affecting something over here can't changing something over here can't affect something over here faster than the speed of light because information can't travel faster than the speed of light. This this particle can't know that this particle was was measured, but it does. As soon as this is measured, this one is changed. I mean, it, it shows that reality is not quite what we think it is. But that's not what's interesting. Interesting is uh, if you shorten the distance such that this particle is measured uh, before. Uh, let me see. No, this, if you lengthen this one, so the particle is measured after. The particle is measured, which is the thing that, that affects this one, but it's measured after this particle touches, uh, reaches its destination so once it reaches its destination it should be fixed right? but no if you measure this particle after this particle has reached its destination the measuring of this particle still affects this particle I'm being very general you have to really study it but this is actually from what I've studied this has actually happened so this particle is actually uh, affecting something that has already happened which. I mean, I'm sure quantum physicists would, well, some of them would criticize me for even suggesting it, but it does appear that that's a sort of a time travel, the future is affecting the past, it's not exactly, and it's not as simple as that, or maybe it's even more simple than that, but um, the point being that the universe is not quite as we think it is, you know, this idea of classic Classical physics, classical physics is is false. This physics of billiard balls of of linear time and so on is simplistic, and many aspects of it are simply incorrect. I don't. It's a bit of a tangent. It's not really important for our practice as Buddhists, except kind of to understand that um, the universe is not as it appears. It's very much more based on experience than it is on. On billiard balls, atoms, and that kind of thing—particles. I knew if I brought up the teaching, you're going to make me rehash it, right? Spooky action at a distance—I believe it was Einstein. He was—he was the one who was against quantum physics. He was really turned off by this new thing and said, "It's just not." not, there's something wrong here, it just doesn't sit well he called, he called it spooky action at a distance of I mean. the four opportunities we have this opportunity that we are born in the time of the Buddha's teaching this time period that there is a Buddha in here we still have the Buddha we have his Dhammakaya. Dhammakaya means the body of teachings. So, all the teachings of the Buddha, the like given this quote that we had today, that's part of the Dhammakaya. And that body of teachings is the body of the Buddha. It's still here. But that's not always the case. Who's to say that there's going to be another Buddha when the next Buddha is going to come? There are many, many periods of time. Most, the vast majority of time in this universe is spent without someone who has seen through the, the net, seen through the, the veil of ignorance. So we have that opportunity. The second opportunity is that we're born as humans. It's uh, not very useful if you're born as a cow. You know, the Buddha isn't all that much benefit to most cows except in terms of not getting them killed because uh, fewer people are inclined to do killing to kill cows, but not really helpful if the Buddha teaches a profound discourse on insight meditation to a cow, right? A cow's not gonna be all that benefited. So being born a human is a great and difficult opportunity. You know, more much more often, much more common is it for us to be born as animals or even in the hell realms. We'll be born as animals a thousand times before we get the opportunity just by luck, just by some happenstance that we incline towards good things to such an extent that we're actually born as a human being or we interact with human beings enough such that we're inclined to be born as a human being. So that's the second opportunity. The third opportunity is that we is the opportunity to practice the Buddha's teaching. I mean, many human beings never have that opportunity. Even being born a human being, physically there are many obstacles. If someone is sick or someone is uh, crippled, when someone has a, an illness, is born with debilitating illness, they might die before they get the opportunity there may be physical obstacles um, such as distance they may be born in a place where there is no Buddhist teaching there is no meditation center Um, they might have debt or they might be... have commitments that get in their way so many people don't even have the opportunity to practice the Buddhist teaching for whatever reason and the fourth opportunity is the, the the mental opportunity to have right view to have the good intention, the intention to ordain, the intention to practice meditation some people have the opportunity and they never take it so this is two parts there are, the Buddha said it's rare to find a person who is stirred by truly stirring things, who is moved by that which is truly moving that's rare but what's even rarer, the interesting part of the quote is what's even more rare is that is among those people who are moved by things that are moving, uh, who are stirred, stirred, who are sh- shaken up when they hear about things that are truly sh- uh, life-shaking or earth-shattering, how you say it? But even rarer among those people, people are people who actually do something about it even though it upsets them many people do not do anything so even many buddhists who are inclined to meditate never actually get around to doing it this is important to actually have the will and the volition to just get up and do it That's very rare much more rare Uh, so that's the fourth opportunity, the, 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 the good intention. And they have this good intention, so we should seize upon it. I mean, I guess that the point is to have the desire to do good deeds. And that's an opportunity that we shouldn't let pass up. None of these opportunities, we should not let them, let them pass us by. Don't let the moment pass you by, actually become someone who, who takes, seizes the opportunity. Seize the day. So that's basically what I talked about. I would think I was a little bit more eloquent earlier on in the day, but that's the gist of it. Do you think someone can consider themselves a Buddhist without believing in rebirth? You don't really have to believe in anything to be a Buddhist. To be a Buddhist, you have to practice the Buddhist teaching. You need uh, four things. Don't let the days and nights go by. Don't just be lazy. Uh, don't neglect your solitude. So be inclined and protect your solitude Dwell in solitude is needed. Keep to yourself. And cultivate tranquility and cultivate insight. These four. This is how you become someone who lives by the dhamma. way. If you have a view that there is no rebirth, that's potentially problematic. Because that view, that belief, you say I don't believe in rebirth, well what you mean is you believe there is no rebirth, I assume. And if you believe that there is no rebirth, that belief gets in the way because it's against reality. And the truth is unless you're free from the the unless you're free from the causes of rebirth, desire basically. There's going to be rebirth continuously. Even in this life, there'll be the birth of many things in this life. But even beyond this life. Sankha, your question doesn't seem that import, that uh, practical to me. Again, it's one of these technical questions, and I don't really have a clue about anyway. And I just don't see how it's practical. I'm gonna have to call you out on it. Okay, look, if you're going to ask a question, put the cue in front of it. You're not doing it. You're not playing by the rules. See, so here's a question. This is a question. See, it has the cue before it. So you get a little green question mark. Or, or yellow if you haven't been meditating. <laughs> so he didn't really yeah. have to repeat yourself but okay i um, grew to have lesser attachment to things like PE, music, art, cooking which are all required to do at my school I really don't want to do them especially for PE because I want to continue to eat two times a day how should I deal with this? drop out of school I don't know, are you old enough to drop out of school go to an alternative school there's lots of alternative schools you can do correspondence education through the province I think there's different ways in Canada you can anyway so I did, I actually dropped out of school went to an alternative school and it was great just meet with my teacher once a week and did all the work by myself great for meditation it's a really adult sort of thing if you're grown up enough to consider meditation I think you're grown up enough to do advanced or to do uh, alternative education That's what I would recommend. What can I say, you know? Tell them you're not going to do it. Sit there in the bleachers. Fail it. I don't know. I mean, do it mindfully, I suppose. That would be the best uh, compromise, the easiest compromise. You're going to run, run mindfully. If you can throw a ball, throw the ball mindfully. You may not end up you know, people throw the ball at you, you're seeing, seeing, let the ball hit you, it might happen. You might not be the best basketball player, but you get threat. I don't imagine meditators have the best reflexes. Seeing, seeing, intending to catch, intending lifting, and by that time you've already been hit in the face with the ball. All right. Enough. Thank you all for coming out tonight. It's good to to have a regular audience. See you all tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Good night.